Okay, Genesis chapter 42. If you were here last week, we covered verses 1 through 5. We're going to pick up where we left off, and we'll do verse 6. So turn to Genesis chapter 42 in your phone, your tablet, your Bible. And their title tonight is Forgiven. We're going to see a lot of forgiveness. We just sang about forgiveness. And this, this week in the text, we'll see um, forgiveness kind of exhibited by Joseph and his family both. So verse 6 says, it says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land. Remember, he's been put in charge of the whole land of Egypt, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him. That's important, with their faces to the ground. And here's why it's important. Not ex- it's not a huge um, application point for us, by the way. It's just more like proven God's story. Because remember a few chapters ago, remember Joseph's first dream when he told his brothers, you know, I saw sheaves of grain, they bowed down. Let's look at it online. It's Genesis chapter 37 is the verse. I think it'll be on the screen. If, if PowerPoint works, we're already microphone. There we go. See, I knew something would work. I had faith. There we go. Um, look what it says. Listen to this dream. This is just a recap of, of Joseph's original dream. We were all out in the field. He's talking to his brothers. We were tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around, bowed low before mine. He was a young kid. His brothers didn't want to hear it. Remember, this is one of the reasons they sold him into slavery out of that pit. Well, here in verse 6, we just saw it come true, because God's word is always true, right? Here's proof. We don't need proof, but it's nice to see the proof sometimes. His brothers have probably by now, by the way, forgotten all about that dream. You know, they think they got rid of Joseph. They're kind of going to feel guilty. We'll see that all through our text tonight. And, and Joseph, and if you were here last week, he said he even forgot about his brothers. And I'll, we'll look at that verse again tonight, too. But here's the irony of this. It just proves to me, once again, I say up here sometime that I'm sure God has a sense of humor. This is another confirmation of that. Because remember, if you remember that story, Joseph's brothers, they thought, if we get rid of Joseph, we'll get rid of his dreams. Get rid of that dreamer is how they almost saw it. Well, because of what they did, sell him into slavery, he ends up in Egypt. If you think about it, because of what they did, they put him in the exact place to fulfill the dream. That's just God said, I see what you're doing. Watch how I work this out for you. You're going to be actually confirming his dream in a way. And they're literally in the exact place for it all to come exactly true as Joseph dreamed it. Verse 7, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, it says he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly. So far as they know, he's Egyptian. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food because of this famine. Well, the Holy Spirit, I believe anyway, is who prompted Joseph to pretend to be a stranger. And why do we know that? I'll show you in a few minutes in a different verse. Because if you remember back to chapter 41, I'm not going to put this one on screen, but even Pharaoh noticed the Spirit of God is in that man. And so I think the Holy Spirit is prompting Joseph all through our text tonight of how to operate, how to act. Let's read the next verse, verse 8. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Verse 9 says, then he remembered, more on that in a second. He remembered his dreams, those dreams I just read us in the other verse in the last chapter. Then he said to them, you are all spies. I know you're up to no good. 
You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But I think, once again, the Holy, <clears throat> excuse me, the Holy Spirit is who's prompting him to remember this. Why is he going to do that? But really, God's goal is to use Joseph, we've talked about this last week, to feed the people, feed the world, not just Egypt, feed Israel, feed all the other nations that are having this famine. But God is also restoring Joseph's family, his brothers, and their relationship. That's what the Holy Spirit is up to right now. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing you might want to write down. The Holy Spirit is our, us in this room, us watching online, our helper, not just Joseph's. And here's the real key. He will help us at exactly the right moment in our lives. Even when we forget to ask him, even when we don't see it, even when we have no clue what God is doing, he will help us at exactly the right moment because he knows the right moment way better than we could ever imagine. That's what he's up to right now in our story. Well, why do I think the Holy Spirit is the one helping Joseph? Let's look at a verse from last week, the one I told you I would show in a second. Verse, it's chapter 41, verse 51. Chapter 41, verse 51. Because if you remember, it's on the screen. It says, he named his son Manasseh, which meant, I've forgotten everything. And it says, God has made me forget all my troubles. But here's the real key. Look what it says. I forgot everything about my father's family. So he didn't, last week, he didn't remember his brothers hardly. They were a distant memory. Now, years and years and years later, he lays eyes on him and knows exactly who they are. And also, God put that very dream back in his mind because God is fixing their relationship. He's going to fix that situation. Look what his brothers say when he accused him of spies. Verse 10. No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. In other words, we're not spies, we're hungry. We are the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. Look at Joseph's reply. Because he might have remembered that pit, by the way. No, you've come to see where the land is unprotected. It sounds like to me anyway, he's accusing them to sort of test them. He wants to see if they've changed. Remember the last time he saw them, I just said it, was when he was looking up out of the pit, and the next thing you know, he thinks he's rescued. Little does he know they got him out of the pit to sell him to slave traders. And he has not seen them for a very long time. So he's probably wondering, are they changed? Have they repented? Are they sorry? We'll see in our text that they have, but he doesn't know that yet. Verse 13, but they replied, your servants are 12 brothers, the son of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. In other words, we're from a long ways. The youngest is now with our father, and look what they add to the sentence. One is no more. Who's the one? Joseph. He's right in front of them, but they don't know it yet. Joseph does. So they're trying to be honest, I guess, but they're sort of still shifting that part of the story. One is no more. Because likely, at least in my mind, I don't, you know, it's hard to tell from the text. I doubt personally they believe he's dead. They know they sold him into slavery. But in their minds, he's probably toiling away by some evil master with maybe shackles and doing hard labor or something. They don't know. They have no idea except we sold him into slavery. But I don't believe personally they thought he was dead. So they're just trying to still a little bit cover their tracks, I think. They're trying to forget their sin. 
They're trying to like almost, you know what, if I can just get, move on and forget that and just move on, and I don't want to think about it, don't want to talk about it. Kind of what we do about our sins sometimes, isn't it? Put it out of our mind and, and hope nobody knows, hope we can't forget, we know. But more importantly, who knows? God knows. God knows what they did, and so do they, and we'll see that as we read the text tonight. But um, let's look at two verses on screen to just to remind us. We already know God sees everything, but let's look at two verses that confirm that. Jeremiah 16, 17. Look what God says. My eyes are on all our, it says there, but I would add our ways. They're not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. Our sin is not hidden. No matter how much we want to deny it, pretend it didn't happen, God knows. Then in Psalms, it says, look what it talks about, how God almost does our sin. Spreads it out before him. Our secret sins, things we think nobody knows, it's spread out before the Lord like a document. He sees them all. So we can't run. We can't hide. God knows what he wants us to do, though. He doesn't hold it against us because of Jesus forgiven us, but we have to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior to obtain God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. That's what he wants these brothers to do. Repent, turn away, be sorrowful, and not, not really try to hide it, be remorseful, and apologize even. Verse 14, back to our text. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you are spies. He's just messing with them now. This is how you'll be tested. In other words, I know you did it. I'm even going to test you. Here's your test. As surely as Pharaoh lives, and remember when Pharaoh's not in the room, he is Pharaoh. He has all of Pharaoh's authority, including his signet ring, we learned last week. You will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Now he's adding a demand. Why do you think Joseph added that part? You can't leave unless your brother comes. Because it sounds a little strange. Well, Scripture doesn't say, so we have to kind of guess, and I'll give you my best guess. You can make your own mind up. You know, they all had different moms, most of these brothers, you know, because Jacob had different wives through his, his life. The brother that's not there is Joseph's only full brother from Rachel, his mom. He's, it's Benjamin, if if we look at text, it's, it's his younger brother, Benjamin. Remember, the father kept him at home because he loved him. He was almost the new favorite. Joseph was the first favorite, Benjamin's favorite number two. He kept him home, and Joseph has not seen Benjamin in a long time because he was not even out there at that whole pit incident. So as I studied this, I tried to determine, I did some research, and I never could come to a conclusion, by the way. Was Benjamin born before Joseph got sold into slavery? doesn't really matter. It's just more like a head-scratcher in a way. And it's sort of unclear. Um, some people think he was. Some people think he wasn't. Once again, doesn't really matter. But, but here's the thing it, it kind of lands on. Joseph was around seven, he was 17 when he got sold into slavery. So if Benjamin was born, he may have not even been born, but if he was... If Joseph is 17, Benjamin would have been no more than 10, so 10 or below. He would have been a young boy. Joseph wants to see his grown brother that's his full brother of his mom, the only one, really. That's why I think he says, go get your brother. That's my test. Otherwise, 
it just seems kind of strange why he'd want Benjamin specifically. So that's just my theory. Once again, you, you make your own minds up. Verse 16, send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison. In a little while, he'll reverse that, by the way. So that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. It's a test. If you're not, in other words, not telling the truth, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you are all spies. And I'm right, and you've been lying. So he's going to put them to the test. And then it says in 17, so he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, look what Joseph says, though. Do this and you'll live, and here's why. I fear God. I fear the Lord. This is more proof. Remember, we've been talking for weeks now how Joseph's faith never wavered, never. No matter what happened, no matter what trial, what struggle he was going through, his faith was solid. Because he's not telling his brother, he's not trying to, you know, he's kind of Pharaoh. He's not trying to scare his brothers and like, fear me, I'm Pharaoh number two. He says, I fear God. What he's trying to really communicate, I believe anyway. Since I fear the Lord, I will be fair in this test. I will treat you fairly. If you'll do what I say, I'll do what I say. Prove to me you're not spies by going to get your brother. But I think really he just wants to see his brother. But he's trying to tell them, I fear God. I fear God more than any man, including Pharaoh. I will be fair to you because I fear the Lord. It's healthy for us to have a fear of the Lord, isn't it? We forget that sometimes because sometimes when you hear the word fear, you think, well, this kind of like I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of a, a taskmaster or punishment or I'm cowering. That's not the fear we're talking about. And that's not the fear Scripture describes. We'll look at a verse in Deuteronomy in a second. But the fear of the Lord we should have is more a fear of awesome respect. Like he's God. He spoke the universe into creation with his voice. I'm kind of in awe of a God like that. No other God, no such a thing. They're, all the little G gods can't do that. It's a healthy fear, a healthy respect. And as I said this weekend, we obey God because we love God, not because we're afraid in a bad way. Let's look at the verse in Deuteronomy I'm talking about. It's chapter 10, verse 12. Here's what it says. What does the Lord your God ask of you? What's he ask of all of us? Fear him. Fear the Lord your God. Then look what it says next. Walk in obedience. We obey him because we love him. But we do have that healthy fear. To love him, to serve him, serve the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. It's a healthy fear of awe and respect. We revere. Revere rhymes with fear. Think of it more reverent. It's revere, not fear. Then we recognize Who's worthy of our praise and worship, by the way? Only God. He's sovereign. He created the universe, not just our world, the universe by speaking it into existence. Only one God in the universe can do that, and we should respect and fear him in a healthy way like Scripture is challenging us. And what Joseph is telling to tie this all together, I fear God in a proper way, so I will treat you fairly because I respect God and I know He would not want me to mistreat you. That's what He's really trying to communicate, which is our second thing to write down if you're taking notes. A proper, this healthy fear I keep describing, 
A proper fear of the Lord helps all of us treat each other fairly, equally, with kindness, gentleness, respect. God is fair to us, so we want to treat each other fairly with respect, don't we? And we do that by having a healthy fear of the Lord because we know he expects, he expects me to. It's not because I have to, because I want to treat people fairly, because I love all of you. All the pastors here love you. We see you as equals, not somebody we can lord it over, but we also have to pay that forward to each other. We treat each other with respect and kindness and gentleness, all those fruits of the Spirit we read, because God expects it out of us. So if we love God, we fear God, we'll also treat each other better is another way to kind of put that main point. Back to our text, verse 19. If you are honest, in other words, if you're not spies, then let one of your brothers stay. Remember, I said he was going to reverse it. First, he had them all locked up. Now he's going to say, just let one of your brothers stay. The rest of you go home and take this grain back to your starving households. So he's going to have compassion and mercy. I've been telling us for weeks now that Joseph has a lot of similarities to Jesus. Look at the compassion and love he has. Take this grain to your starving families. But he's got a condition. Verse 20, there's a condition. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified. In other words, so you can prove you're not spies. And that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Well, they're going to try. they got to go home and tell dad about it. And that's where the challenge is coming. So Joseph is really saying, to summarize where we're at here, he's saying, I fear God. I'm an honest man. I will treat you fairly. But in my mind, anyway, I don't know if he's completely sure his brothers are honest and fair right now. He's hoping they are. He's probably praying they are. But remember, their last interaction was out of that pit. He's hopeful and optimistic, I think. But he's sort of testing them with this challenge, go home and get your brother. Let's see how they do on the test because we're, we're about to get there. Verse 21. They said to one another, and by the way, they're likely speaking, I'm not sure at this point if it was Aramaic or Hebrew, but they don't think Joseph can understand them because in their mind, he's this Egyptian, and Joseph, we'll see later, was using a translator as he spoke. So they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother, Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen that's why this distress has come upon us. Now, I'm reading in IV, which a lot of you are, but in many translations, as I read this verse, it says in our translation, we are being punished. And in a lot of translations, it says we are guilty. They're admitting their guilt. And then they add to that, they said, we deserve to suffer. Not just their, our verse says we are being punished. In other translations, we deserve to suffer. And so they're connecting, in my mind anyway, they're connecting two totally unrelated incidents. Because they don't know that's Joseph. Joseph knows, but they don't. But they're now seeing this. We sold our brother. Now this Lord of the land, as they keep calling him, he's punishing us by going to get our brother. Really, God is behind it because of what we did. They have a guilty conscience. 
The Holy Spirit is at work on them, too. He's convicting them of their sin. Because they really, I keep saying, they have no idea that's Joseph. But God knows it's Joseph. And God is elbowing them and digging them and saying, yeah, you sold your brother in that pit. And he's making them feel guilty about it. You can almost imagine how they're talking to each other. Look what Reuben says in verse 22. Didn't I tell you? Remember, he tried to fix it his own way, but it all blew up in his face, and they sold the brother out when he was gone. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? You wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. Why, once again, were they able to connect, to connect these, as I just said, two unrelated incidents? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all through this chapter just not named as being the Holy Spirit. But clearly he's helping Joseph remember. He's convicting these brothers of their sin and they're sorrowful. They're not just afraid of getting caught because in their mind, they're not caught. You know, they have no idea that's Joseph. They don't know he can understand what they're saying. They're just convicted. Verse 23 even tells you what I already said. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. So they think he's Egyptian. He turned away from them. Look what Joseph does, though, because he does understand. He began to weep. So he hides his eyes, looks away. But then he came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So Joseph is weeping because he sees, I think, they're remorseful. He hears their voice. But if you think about the gift, what Joseph seems to have anyway, he has a gift of interpreting dreams, which likely that means, at least in my mind, he has the gift of discernment. He can discern, you know, things that aren't obvious to everybody. He sees his brother and he hears their words, but I think more importantly, he sees it's real. It's in their heart that they're sorrowful. They're not just saying this like, oh my gosh, we got caught, because they're not caught. They have just connected these two unrelated stories because God is, once again, elbowing them in the side. But they think Joseph is gone, never to be seen again. God has a bigger plan. Joseph, though, I think he, he, he's starting to believe anyway that they are sorrowful. They're sorry what they did to me. There's hope here. Why is Simeon the one chosen? We don't really know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Because if you look at the age um, kind of hierarchy, the oldest one is Reuben, the one that just spoke up. So really, by all rights, Reuben should have been the one taken. But maybe, I don't know, in my mind, Joseph maybe knows, because he does know that's his brother now. He knows Reuben is the leader. He's going to let the leader go back and lead this sort of pilgrimage back home to Canaan. He'll take the second oldest son, which would be Simeon. So he's going to let Reuben, I think, be in charge for the trip. Verse 25, it says, Joseph gave orders. Remember why they're there? They're coming to get grain. So Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to put each man's silver back in their sack and to give them provisions for the journey. After this was done for them, they loaded the grain on their donkeys and left. So they have no idea the silver's in their sack. That'll come out shortly. But here's what we have to think about. Likely because of this famine, you know, it still happens today, supply and demand. When supply is low, what happens? Price goes up. Drive by the gas pump. You know, it's all over the place. Supply and demand. 
So likely, during this famine, the price of grain would have been very high. So the fact Joseph is putting money back in their sacks, that's a huge blessing. Once again, Scripture doesn't tell us why. I would make the case the Holy Spirit is leading Joseph to do that. It doesn't really say in the text. Um, but I do think what's pretty evident, though, look, look what it does show us. Joseph's heart, he's kind of forgiven them for what they did. He's blessing them with free gifts. It also shows us, I believe, Joseph's strong character, which we've kind of harped on for the past few Wednesdays. And here's why I think it, it's a real testimony of how Joseph is a loyal, faithful, honest servant that fears the Lord. His brothers have not repented out loud. They've not asked for forgiveness. They've not told him they're sorry. So Joseph is doing all this free gift business unprompted, unless the Holy Spirit's prompting him, which is what I believe. Well, we'll see reconciliation, but that's not there yet. So he's just doing this in a way he might could see it out of the goodness of his heart because he has a heart for God. He has a heart for the Lord. He has a great character. Don't miss that. Let's look at um, another main point, but I want to put a quote on screen first, too. Um, there's a famous evangelist pastor named D.L. Moody. Look what D.L. Moody says. The voice of our sin is loud, but look what's louder. The voice of God's forgiveness. Our sin is loud. God's forgiveness is way louder. We kind of sang that in a different way in our song tonight. But when we forgive, don't miss this point. That's the point I was getting at you might want to write down. When we forgive, like what Joseph is doing, it frees us. We're not really saying that person didn't treat us terribly, didn't do things terrible to us. But if we let our forgiveness, our unforgiveness go, we get freed. We can now operate like Joseph is, freely. He put it behind him. He's not bitter and angry and dwelling on it, is he? It's pretty evident by the way he's acting. His forgiveness, and so our forgiveness is the same thing. When we forgive people that do us wrong, it brings not them freedom, it brings us the freedom, just like Joseph. Verse 27, at the place where they stop for the night, remember it's a long journey, days and days, one of them, doesn't tell which brother, but one brother opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. He saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. But only one brother, don't miss that. That'll be, come up in a second. Only one brother has found it. Look what he goes and tells the rest of them. My silver has been returned. Here it is in my sack, he said to the rest of his brothers. Now, we're not really told why, once again, Joseph did that. But I think God prompted him, the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, prompted him to do that as part of God's test. God knows their heart, but he wants in a way to test them in a physical way. And, and here's the test, at least in my mind. They found this silver, so the first test is going to be, what will they do with it? What will they do? Will they just like be excited and go spend it all? Will they get on Amazon and go shopping? No, because Amazon's uninvented. But they could have blown it, in other words. They could have spent it. More importantly, though, here's, I think, more important part of the test. How do they feel about finding it? In other words, are they excited? 
Look at this free money. Can you believe it? We got grain and money. How do they feel? Because that's what God cares about. How do you feel? It's part of the test to see if they've become repentant. Let's look at a verse out of Psalm. That's Psalm 7-9. Here's what it says. In the evil of those who are wicked, that's a great prayer for us today, by the way. Defend the righteous. But look, here's the important part I want to focus on. God, you look deep in the mind and the heart of all of us, O righteous God. So God wants to see, in this verse, he wants to see their heart. What will they do with the money? How do they feel about having it? Verse 28, I only read half the verse. If I read the rest of 28, we'll see. 28b says, their hearts sank when they found this money. The heart sank. They turned to each other trembling. So they, they, they're now fearful, you might can say. They're fearing the Lord. How do we know it's the Lord? If I keep reading, we'll see it. What is this? Not that Lord of the land. What is this God has done to us? Look who they're kind of thinking put this money in their sack. What is this God has done? They're not blaming Joseph or questioning how it happened. They, they are convicted because of what we did to our brother. God has orchestrated this event as sort of payment for our bad behavior. Because they're probably thinking, that Lord of that land, that mystery man that we all know as Joseph because we know the story, he's already accused us of being spies. If it gets found out we have the money, he's going to think we're thieves. Now we're spying thieves. So they're probably panicked. But they think God did it to sort of pay them back for what they did. Once again, you can almost see the Holy Spirit convicting them. They all have a guilty conscience, wouldn't you agree? Let's keep reading. Verse, I'm going to read a few verses. 29. Now there doesn't tell us about the rest of the journey, but... You imagine that's a long journey home. They found this silver. They found one sack of money. They're freaked out that God knows what they did, which he, of course, would, being God. They've got this whole more few-day journey to think about it. Verse 29 says, When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. Then they said in verse 30, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as if we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we're honest men. We're not spies. We were 12 brothers, son of one father. One is no more, not exactly. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. So as I was kind of studying this, I was thinking, what would I be thinking if I was in their shoes? What would we all be thinking? Well, I think we'd be thinking something like this. How in the world are we going to tell dad, we got the grain, we, we did what dad told us, but now we brought part of the money back. How are we going to explain that? Now we got to tell dad too, well, dad, count all the brothers. We're kind of one down here. Simeon's in jail over there in Egypt, and, and we got to somehow get him out. And by the way, the way we got to get him out is to bring your favorite son with us next trip. And if we don't do that, you're going to lose Simeon. So they're probably all like, oh, my gosh, we got to come up with a story. Remember the story about the Joseph's, you know, robe or, or coat of many colors, as some translations call it, which I told us it was a robe. That was a wild tale they invented. I wonder if they were trying to think of a wild tale, but I think they're 
learning. God knows anyway. We just got to go tell the truth. But they're still not going to tell him the truth about Joseph. Verse 33. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, that would be Simeon, and take food for your starving household and go. But, there's a condition, but bring your youngest brother to me so I will know they're not spies but honest men. Then and only then, my words, will I give your brother back to you. Then you can trade freely, move about the land, if you read of how that translation is worded. They're giving their father, their father more or less an honest report this time. So in my mind, anyway, you can once again decide for yourself. I think they're sort of passing God's test. They seem to have changed. They're doing better than they were on the last few chapters in the pit, I would definitely say. Which brings up our last thing if you're taking notes tonight. Like these brothers, don't let your past mistakes define you. We have to see our mistake, my mistakes, your mistakes. We all make mistakes, don't we? See them as a lesson learned. But here's the key. Don't keep learning that same lesson. You know? We do that sometimes. We shouldn't. We got to quit repeating the same lesson. Learn from the mistakes the people make in God's word. But if we're determined to make them on our own, make it be a one-time event. Don't keep repeating the same mistake because it's going to end the same way. God will let us repeat it but remember we sang that song? We don't try to out-earn God's mercy. It's impossible. It's better to shorten our mistakes and not repeat those lessons. Back to our text, 35. It says, now look, they're going to find the rest of the money. As they were emptying their sacks, so now they're home. They're probably dumping it all out for the storehouse. There in each man's sack was his pouch of, pouch of silver. So they only found one. Now they're finding all the rest. When they and their father Jacob saw the money pouches, they were frightened, probably terrified, because now it's not just one sack of money, it's all the money they brought, which really means all the grain they came back with was a free gift. And they're probably thinking, at least in my mind, we don't deserve this. I've been making the case for a few weeks now how, you know, Joseph is not Jesus, but he's very similar to Jesus in a lot of ways. Think about the free gift Jesus gave us, our salvation. We can't earn it, don't deserve it, free gift. What did Joseph give his brothers? A little different free gift, but it's still a free gift they didn't deserve. By their treatment of him, they deserve to be really imprisoned for their treatment. Instead, he gives them an unbelievable free gift of all the money they brought is returned and enough grain to feed who knows their family for a long time. Similar to, not Jesus, similar to. Verse 36 says, look what Jacob says. Then their father Jacob said to them, he's pretty much going to say, woe is me. You have deprived me of my children. He's talking to his sons. They didn't do it. Well, they kind of did. They did sell Joseph. He didn't know that, though. Joseph is no more. Simeon now is no more. Now you want to take Benjamin, my new favorite. Look what he says. Here's the important part of that verse, though. Everything is against me. That's my woe is me part. 
Doesn't look like Jacob is very thankful, does it? But think about what Jacob has to be thankful for, like we sang about to start our service tonight. He's chosen, and God spoke, don't, don't miss this, God spoke to him directly, I'm choosing you to carry forward my covenant. You know, it's passed through a couple generations. You were the new chosen one, essentially. And he has heard God's voice personally. So he's chosen. He's also been blessed with a lot of sons. He's also been blessed with old age. He's, he's getting old now. And he's very healthy, as far as we can tell. So that's another blessing. And then not just that, if you look at the standards of the day, he's rich, almost unbelievably rich as far as his possessions, his cattle, his stuff. They're a little hungry in the story because of the grain, but they just got a bunch of free grain. So he's at least blessed in my mind three ways. What does he say? Everything is against me. Woe is me. His glass is definitely, I'd say, less than half full. He's not even half. He's... He's got a, a couple of drops in his glass almost. He's not seeing what God has blessed him with. Great verse out of Psalms reminds us of just tell the Lord thanks. Um, Psalm 103, verse 2. Here's what it says. This is a great verse for us, I think, especially next week on Thanksgiving Eve. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never, may we never forget the good things God does for us. That's a great reminder, isn't it? So no matter how much our life seems like a mess at the moment, no matter what kind of trial we're caught up in, because I'm sure there's people in this room in a trial, no doubt. But even in a trial, look what Job did. He always praised the Lord no matter what happened. Jacob is not doing that. He's focused on the negative not seeing the positive and not really it's a trust issue he's not trusting god to finish what god is doing here all he can see is his circumstances he's almost fixated on his circumstances not on god's promises so it's a good reminder for me and all of you both let's praise the lord and not forget all the good he's done and then trust him to see us through to the other side we're almost done verse 37 it says, then Reuben, who was the oldest, said to his father, he's going to put his own sons on the line. You may put both of my sons to death, your, your grandsons, if I don't bring your youngest son back to you. In other words, hold my sons hostage. That'll make sure I come back because I love my sons is what he's really saying here. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back almost in my mind no matter what. But look what Jacob answers in 38. My son will not go down there with you. His brother's dead, Joseph, and he's the only one left. This is my favorite wife's favorite son. If harm comes to him on the journey that you're going to take, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Here's what he's really saying, at least in my mind, and I think it's pretty clear. If harm comes. He's focused once again on the negative, isn't he? He's really saying, if you think about it, I don't trust God to keep him safe. If anybody has reasons to trust God, it would be Jacob. Look what God has done in Jacob's life. 
He's not trusting. And, and interesting enough, too, remember, it was chapters ago, if you remember, because I know you're all the regular Wednesday people. Remember, his name was changed to Israel a while back. Look what he's being called in this chapter. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. I think for a reason, there's still some Jacob to get out of Jacob, especially this trust in the Lord part. Well, we'll pick the story up um, in a few weeks. Don't miss next week, remember. It's praise night, mini worship night. Invite your friends, invite your family. But as we close tonight, two things. Maybe tonight you're here for the first time, for the 10th time. Maybe you just drove in off the street because God prompted you. If you don't trust the Lord, or maybe you've drifted away from the Lord, at the end of tonight, come down here. I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you. We can pray a prayer to rededicate your life to God, to say, I want to follow the God. I want to trust the Lord like Jacob should be. But for the rest of us, I just want to pray a prayer that we, me included, would just trust God more when we're in a trial. It's always a great thing to say, Lord, I know you, I love you, I believe in you, but help me in my unbelief, like that verse says. I believe, but help my unbelief. That's a great prayer for us, so let's just pray that. Lord, tonight we love you, we do trust you, but Lord, in trials, sometimes even our faith as Christ followers can waver. So Lord, tonight, send your Holy Spirit, help our belief be stronger, help our unbelief be minimal, Lord. Help us all to trust you more, even when we don't see what you're doing and don't see a possible way out of this situation that we may be right in right now, Lord, let us just trust you to see us through. And Lord, you will promise in your word to give us the victory. Lord, so we just trust that. We trust your promises. We trust just to obey you more, but we need your help, Lord. Father, once again, send your Holy Spirit. Help us to be transformed each and every day to be more like your son, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. Only you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said amen. amen. And once again, don't miss next Wednesday.